if everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. You've likely heard this at some point in your career. It typically comes from someone who is fed up with too many things being urgent or important. In some cases, I have been that person, and it's very possible you have been that person as well. Pulling your hair out, trying to get the decision makers to choose one project instead of all 15. Coming up, we'll take a look at prioritization frameworks that work and how you can get closer to a true sense of priority without the headache. Welcome back for episode two of Hartley's Handbook. I'm John Hartley, and this is the go-to podcast for engineering leaders looking to level up their skills. Each week, I'll dive deep into the world of management, bringing you tactical advice that cuts through the noise. No vapid quotes, no BS, just straightforward advice you can implement immediately. This week's focus, prioritization. We'll start off with prioritization within projects, then move to prioritizing projects in general, and close with prioritizing for yourself as a manager. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe at hartleyshandbook.com. Each week on Mondays, I bring a new topic or a new framework or template to you for free. And then on Thursdays, I have a weekly newsletter with links and a helpful thought along the way. I'll be releasing these every Wednesday, so keep an eye out, make sure you're subscribed, and let's get started. I've been working on tech projects in some capacity for 15 years at this point. And my early days as an engineer were eh, chaos. I worked at a digital agency where everything was priority and the engineers were expected to make it happen. We worked in a waterfall fashion, but it always felt like we were going over that waterfall in a barrel. Over the years, I learned about constraints, especially from the Iron Triangle a tool that I still think of frequently. The Iron Triangle is a project management model that provides a dynamic way to approach priorities on a project and supports describing items of value in a project team. It breaks project variables down as schedule, scope, and spend. Those are the three main areas that a project can have. Spend in many cases ends up being resources or how many individuals you will put on that project whether it be one or 20, your spend is your budget, is your cost, is your resources. Think about your current projects and how they are defined within schedule, scope, and spend. Now think about which of those items is fixed, which of them is unable to be moved. That's what the Iron Triangle helps to point out, along with what items within the project need to be prioritized based on the constraint. If schedule and spend are inflexible, scope must be extremely flexible. Think, what can we get out the door on that timeline with only two engineers? When you think about your projects in these terms, you can begin to objectively assess the project and its parts, prioritizing based on the constraints. I love to think about tickets in projects in terms of P0, absolutely critical for launch, P1, we'd like to have this in there, and P2, we probably won't get to this, but should keep track just in case. Any new ticket added throughout the span of a project can get one of these three labels. If there are weekly refinements, you can reassess whether those labels still apply. As you get closer to the target date, 
you can be even more critical of the labels, leaving in only P0s. There's nothing worse than a stakeholder or a manager saying, oh, well, it looks like you're only 70% done with this project and it's set to launch next week. And then having to be like, well, yeah, we've got some follow-ups. We've got these other things that we're probably not going to do in time for launch. And it just becomes a snowball of let's figure out what are the P0s. Let's add those to the project and make sure that those are the only things remaining on whatever Gantt chart or other chart of any sort that we have. Uh, we use Linear. I've mean, used Jira in the past. Whatever project management tool you're using, figure out what is okay for launch. In episode one, we talked a bit about completeness and what does your org consider as complete. Same thing with prioritization and what those charts look like. If you have all P0s and those are the critical items that have to get out the door, your chart is going to look correct. If you have P0s, P1s, P2s, all in the same area, it's going to look a little wonky. You're going to say, hey, we're only going to be 80% done, but we're going to get it done. When we think about that iron triangle, that is the scope, right? We're saying this is the only thing we can do if we're going to launch next week. Keep that in mind as you're going through your projects. Which pieces of the iron triangle can shift? Can I add more resources? You can't use eight ovens to make one pizza in less time. So think about that as well. The mythical man month of you can't just keep throwing more and more people at a problem to try and resolve it. It's not going to work. I've tried it. Trust me. You can't just keep adding more and more engineers until the project is done. At some point, it gets to diminishing returns. Each project is going to be different in terms of that. So we might... <laughs> Might get into that in a later time, but for now, back to prioritization. Thinking about your project, how will you prioritize those tickets? How will you prioritize the P0s? Think about the happy path or the critical path, as I like to call it. That critical path is how we get from point A to point B. The steps in between should be laid out clearly, either in user stories or in just tickets. Uh, that have been created by engineering manager, product manager, product owner, engineers, whoever it may be. That point A to point B is the critical path. Focus on that one first. Don't focus on edge cases. I'm not worried about edge cases for a launch. I'm worried about can the individual on the other end complete this task that we're asking them to complete? Can a customer sign up for the product that you're selling? Can the internal stakeholder process uh, the piece of data that they need to process in order to do their job? Is that baseline task initiation available for the individuals that will use your product? Think about that first with your P0s. Again, don't worry about the edge cases. Those are likely going to be your P1s. As soon as you get it out the door, you can worry about those a little more. For me, if scope is flexible, and schedule is a hard stop, that's where you get to say, this is what's going out the door on that timeline. Have those tough conversations. Explain why behind the prioritization of those items. From there, if the understanding still isn't there, do your due diligence to make sure that someone understands why is this being prioritized over this other item. It may be a bit frustrating initially to say, well, 
I understand these things, and so I don't need to explain everything to you. But the more you bring your stakeholders along in the early goings of a project, the easier it is to make these decisions toward the end. The critical removal of AP0, potentially. Saying, hey, I understand that we said we were going to get this thing done. It's not looking like that's going to be the case. Here's why we think we should remove this if we still want to launch next week. A lot of these things are conversations. Hopefully you're in an organization where conversations are okay, where communication is something that is desired, and when you're communicating the answers to these questions, they are heard. Not just heard, but understood. Not just understood, but accepted. You are in charge of this project. You are responsible for this project. You want to set it up for success, but you have to have conversations around prioritization along the way. But how did we get here? How did we even get to prioritizing this project and deciding it's important for us to tackle? Now for this, I have a framework on Hartleyshandbook.com. It's a common one. It's called the RICE framework. Uh, so we'll go into some more depth there. But it is something where you may not be in charge of these conversations. You may not be a part of these conversations. So as we're going through the RICE framework, think about how can I get involved? Who is making these decisions within the organization and how do I get a seat at that table? You'll be much less frustrated. You'll be much more excited to actually get the project and you'll understand the why. The why is critical as a manager, as a director, as a VP, because you can relay along the importance of why this project was selected, what it means for the business, and it will help with everyone on that project in understanding the motivation. Engagement on a project doesn't just show up. You have to understand the why in order to feel engaged, in order to feel attached to the work that you're doing. And when you know the why, you can make better decisions, whether it's as an individual contributor or as a manager, product owner, product manager, whatever it may be. When you know that why, when you know the thing you're aiming for, you're able to make better decisions the project. So let's dive a bit deeper into the RICE framework. The RICE framework is not a silver bullet by any means. It is a way to quickly gut check which projects should go first, which projects should go second, which projects should go third, and have some objective ways of looking at it instead of, well, Tommy feels like this is the best thing to go next, or Susie thinks that this is the project we should do because she feels this way. It helps you start to collect the data, and it helps you really hone in on objectively, here are the things that we would like to do next. Is this a perfect system? Absolutely not. Is this helpful for testing quick assumptions and getting some prioritization on paper? Absolutely yes. To break it down simply, rice scoring assesses reach, impact, confidence, and effort. So that R-I-C-E, reach impact, confidence, and effort to get to a final score, which can then be compared against other project scores. I love spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are fantastic. Pivot tables, best friend. <laughs> love pivot tables. If you are not used to using these tools, I highly recommend you take a little bit of time in Google Sheets to understand how to look at the data, how to filter, how to uh, order things. It will help you out a lot 
especially as you start getting into rice scoring or anything else that is a data-driven decision. As with other frameworks and templates, I like to remove numbers from the initial assessment as much as possible, using words instead of numbers to release more of the data-minded folks from the shackles of being too analytical too early. Simply stated, rice scoring is like deciding on recipes for an upcoming family meal that you're responsible for cooking. Reach is like the number of people you're serving. The more people, the higher the score will be. Impact is like the taste or the nutrition of your dish, depending on what your guests value the most. How much will this meal benefit your guests? The bigger the impact, the higher the score. Confidence is like how difficult the recipe is. How sure are you that you can deliver this meal successfully? The more confident you are, the higher the score. Personally, I'm much more confident saying I will make scrambled eggs than I am saying I will make a beef wellington. Effort is like the time and effort required to cook your dish. How much work will it take to cook this meal? The less effort required, the higher the score. The template itself is adjustable for both words and their weight uh, or numerical value in the data tab. So as you go to the site and you use this, feel free to change as is appropriate for you and your teams. Associating categories into a final score is a simple equation, and it boils down to the following. It's reach times impact times confidence all over effort. So reach times impact times confidence over effort. It's simple and made even more simple when you use the spreadsheet, which will convert everything into numbers automatically. Now that you have a sense of what rice scoring is, let's take a look at each section. Starting with reach, when we talk about reach and rice scoring, we're talking about the size of the audience we expect the project to affect. If you have an exact number, great, perfect. Otherwise, a rough approximation will do. Something helpful, especially in early stages, is to think about your reach number in exponential quantities to help generalize the reach itself. I'll give it four categories in this case. Small, so say 10 people. Medium, 100 people. Large, 500 people. Or huge, 1,000 people. Again, you can adjust those numbers to whatever is most meaningful for you and your teams. As long as there is some gap between the weight given to each category, it will be a meaningful data point for you. Moving to impact. I deviate a bit here from the standard impact scoring, leaning into a 5 as the largest impact and 0.5 as the smallest. I think about it Fibonacci sequence-wise, similar to how you may estimate tickets. Hopefully that isn't a dirty word for you. Uh, But really thinking through... How do we start to stack these a little more honestly? And really, if the impact is less than 0.5, you're probably never going to spend time or resources on that project anyway. That means ah, we don't expect it to impact anyone other than this one individual. Chuck that into the pile. Like that is a trash pile thing. You know, no offense to that one person who really, really wants this. But when you look at the whole, you're probably not going to end up doing that project. The numbers and terms for impact assess the influence on the objective. Said a different way, impact can and should 
reflect a quantitative goal of some sort and the impact of the feature on that goal. In the template, I've broken it down into the following. We have minimal at 0.5, small at 1, medium at 2, large at 3, then I added mega as 5. So mega in this case is, this is the most impact we will ever have in any feature in any project that will ever be released. A goal in trying to identify the impact is understanding the goal of the feature itself and your proposed metrics. Something like the impact score becomes a forcing function of getting tied to the proposed value and what outcomes you expect to achieve with the project itself. So think through your metrics. This is where you start to get those assessed and understood and say, the impact is going to be based on revenue. The impact is going to be based on total acquirable market. That's where you can really tie impact to a number. But don't do that just yet. Keep it in mind, but don't start doing that until you've got all of your projects listed out into this rice scoring template. That way you can start to assess and weigh them against each other. When it's a tie or it's close, that's where you can start to bring metrics up, say, hey, our company is mostly focused on total acquirable market, so that one wins out over this particular revenue option. Moving to confidence, how confident are you of the impact you are aiming for? The higher the confidence, the higher your score will be. The lower the confidence, the lower the score will be. Makes sense overall. For this spreadsheet, I've noted the following categories. Unclear, low, medium, high, and highest. These categories translate into percentages to use in the equation. So unclear, I'm 20% confident. Low confidence, this is 40% confident. Medium, 60% confident. High, 80% confident. And highest, I'm 100% confident that this thing just going to knock it out of the park. It's going to do everything we want it to do. Going to have high impact. Going to have high reach. I'm confident of all of these things. Go with your gut on this one. You should have a sense of how much of a moonshot the project is, and your confidence level should reflect as much. Think of it as confidence in the proposed impact of the project, combined with confidence in the effort it will take to make it happen. Speaking of effort, let's move to the final letter of rice. Remind your teams, this is purely an estimate. Now, you have to exist in a company where estimates are treated as estimates. The moment that you have someone explain the effort, and then you tie that person to the effort that was given for this exercise, that's where you lose that trust. You're going to see something that previously would have been said is a small lift turn into, but oh, this is a hefty chunk. Like, instead of the one week, this is going to take four weeks. Now, the reason that happens, that trust is not there. Of cool, once this is decided upon, we will analyze scope. It all comes back to the Iron Triangle. We will analyze the scope, the schedule, and the spend. We will figure out the finer details once we decide what we want to do. So again, remind your teams, and stick to this, please. Remind your teams that this is purely an estimate. Once it is determined that you will do the work, 
deeper consideration should be made to the breakdown of the work itself. For rice scoring purposes, I like to break it down by weeks of work. We start with easy peasy, which is 0.5 weeks or half a week. Small lift is one week. Mid-size is two weeks. And really, I kind of use the, the cat chunk chart here. Uh, so hefty chunk is going to be four weeks, and the Herculean is going to be eight weeks. If you're laughing at me saying eight weeks is a long time, consider that every week is critical to moving the business forward. If you don't believe me, you can ask someone for what is the average cost of an engineer per week at your company, what is the average cost of a product manager at your company, and then you can really tie the dollar value to the spend of a project. Then at that point, tell me if eight weeks is a long time. What is your burn over those eight weeks? Even if you're not in the sort of environment that pushes that sort of thinking, treat each week as a sacred unit of time and do what you can to make it as impactful as possible. Let's take a look at a few examples. That way we can weigh them against each other. So I have a project, uh, let's say it's a web project, and I want to, in some ways, build back in some of the old internet into today's world. So I will have four projects. One is build a MySpace-like music feature on the homepage. That way, when you show up on the homepage, it autoplays whatever your anthem or whatever your song is. Right now, I'm feeling the real Slim Shady Bardcore version by Beetle the Bard. Um, that I think it is really going to draw folks into my homepage and make sure they know who I am, what I'm about. Reach for this one. Eh, say it's small. <laughs> I don't have a lot of people coming to my site to to hear my my musings and rantings about uh, bardcore music. The impact, honestly, I think it's going to be minimal. Like I don't think too many people are going to be like, oh, yep, I'm going to stick around because of this. Honestly, it may turn people away. I have the highest confidence that these things are true. I do think the effort is small. I think it's easy peasy. So all those things considered, I've not used numbers necessarily. I know what the numbers translate to, but I've said small reach, minimal impact, highest confidence that this is effort of easy peasy. That score, based on the weighting that I'm using, is a 10. Okay? It's not a 10 out of 10. It's all... Uh, we'll, we'll see the numbers here in a minute. The next thing I want to do on my site, here's an idea that I have, is create Clippy for cart assistance using ChatGPT. If you don't remember Clippy, it means you're probably a, a little younger, but it was this little guy who would pop up in Word and say, oh, hey, I see you're writing a document. Would you like help with XYZ? It would be this little assistant that you would have. So I think having that for our e-com cart would be tremendous. And we'll use ChatGPT that way. It's much smarter than Clippy ever was. So the reach for this, it's going to be huge. It's going to be everybody that comes to my e-com site, everyone that puts something in their cart is going to see this guy. The impact, I'm going to say mega. I think this is a huge impact. Is really going to help people understand how to check out even better. Um, but really, confidence-wise, I'm, I'm unclear. I don't know. Maybe people hate it. How many people use Clippy in Word? I have no idea. And then the effort, it's going to be tough. we got to integrate with ChatGPT. We have to create a little avatar. So we're going to need some UX work. 
We're going to need somebody who wants to determine the communication style from Clippy. So all these things considered, the score ends up at a 250. Now compare that to the MySpace like music feature on the homepage. So far, Clippy's in the runnings for winning this battle. Third project, resurrecting the under-construction gift for better visibility. Again, an old-school internet thing that I want to bring back. This one's important, just in case the site goes down. The reach is going to be large. I, I, it's a, a bit rough, but um, I expect our site to go down a lot, and a lot of people are going to see this. So the reach will be large. Anybody who visits our site during downtime will see this. The impact is going to be small. If I'm being honest with myself, I don't think many people will care whether it's text or the under-construction GIF. Confidence is low, though. I don't know for sure. I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about this. But my confidence is low that this is going to make a small impact. Then the effort. I don't know. I put Herculean here. I don't know where to find that GIF anymore. That may take several weeks for me to do. And then from there, adding an image to a website? We're looking at probably four to five weeks there alone for that. Just kidding. For clarity. Should not take you four to five weeks to add a GIF to a website. Hopefully that is not the case. All these things considered, this is a 25. So we have our 10 for the MySpace like music feature, 250 for Clippy, and then 25 for the under construction GIF. This last one though, I I think is I think it's gonna do everything we want it to for us. That is add the aim door closing noise when someone leaves the site. So when someone is about to leave our site, I want that noise of door shutting to happen right before they are gone from our site forever. The reach is going to be huge. This is absolutely everybody. We have millions of people that will hear this noise. The impact, it's going to be medium. It's going to leave an impression. They're going to be like, oh, wow. Did you hear that noise? I thought that was somebody closing door in my house, but I think it was that website. I should open that back up. The confidence of these things is high. I believe in this idea. I, I think that I'm very confident this is going to be effective. And the effort's small. I think it was a very small lift to attach to closing this website. Now, again, these are just off the wall. I'm not really paying too much attention to it. It's more kind of walking through the process. Uh, so if you're like, man, this guy doesn't know anything about engineering. Don't worry about it. I haven't really spent any time thinking through the, the effort on these as if I were going to do that, I don't think any of us are adding the aim door closing noise to our websites. If you are, let me know. Very interested in hearing more about how you got there, how you decided to do that project. So with the aim door closing noise, the total score is 1600. So when we rank these now, we're going to filter them in the spreadsheet. We say, give me the highest score. That aim door closing noise ends up as the highest project. Now, very quickly, right? We haven't spent a whole lot of time on this. I've been able to throw four projects at the page, been able to rank them very quickly and say, this one, based on everything we know, is going to be the right thing to do next. This is going to be the priority. And you know what you also get with this? You get a force ranked list. Now, force rank is kind of a, a dirty word, a dirty term in some cases, but it has a reason. The reason that we want to force rank things 
is if we say, if we can only do one of these projects, which one sits at the top? If we can only do two of these projects, which ones would we choose? With rice scoring as a framework, you can get to that pretty quickly. Something you can do right now is take a look at your project board, whether it is for your personal projects, for your house projects, uh, or your work projects even. Put them in a list and then run through this exercise. Say, okay, what is the reach? What's the impact? What's the confidence? What's the effort? And then are we following that? Do you believe that you have made the right decisions in terms of the projects that you will do now, later, and never? If not, figure out why. Figure out what the additional benefit is to those things that have been prioritized higher. So that is a quick run through of rice scoring. Again, I've got a template on heartleyshandbook.com. I'll link to it in the show notes. What you can do is go there, make a copy, and try it out yourself. On that data tab, you can adjust the weighting of these things. You can say, well, easy peasy or whatever. I want that to be to a factor of two. That way, Herculean effort is more tailored to probably four months. So it's 16 weeks. And so it it boosts it up a little bit. It's very editable, uh, really can tailor it to your company and your situation. Another framework that is similar but different to rice scoring is the value versus effort matrix. I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, but the way to think about this is a four quadrant grid where on the left axis, you have low to high. On the bottom axis, you have low to high. The left axis is around effort. The Y axis is around value. So low effort, low value, these are considered our fill-in projects. So that low value is really driving the, hey, probably don't need to do this. Similar, high effort, low value, these are the time sinks. These are the projects that just go on and on and on, but don't deliver that value. Don't give your clients or your customers anything where they're going to be like, oh, you got to change these guys. You got to go check out this website. You got to, uh, they won't become an advocate of the site based on this. Then we have our high value low effort, that's considered a quick win. So if we can do something in a short amount of time and it brings a lot of value, let's do it. Get that quick win. If it's high effort and high value, that's considered a big project. So that's the Herculean effort. That's the one that is going to deliver the impact of value, but it's going to take a little bit of time. That's your half year project that unlocks a lot of value in the future. So that is the value versus effort matrix. Then the last one I'll cover is the Kano model. So the Kano analysis model is the customer delight versus implementation investment approach. It's a tool that enables you to understand how customer emotional responses to products or features can be measured and explored. The Kano model is one where, especially if you have heavy on the UX side or UX research side, this is where this one becomes even more beneficial. I had a designer a while back that this was something they wanted to implement for a project. Uh, I thought it was a great approach, and I I still think to this day that it was super helpful to go through that process. Uh, It really defines a bit more about what the end need and the end desire is. So with Kano, you have threshold attributes or the basics. These are really the, the basic features that are being asked for. You have the performance attributes or the satisfiers. What will satisfy 
that main item or the main job that you're trying to do, and then the excitement attribute or the delighter. These are the things where it's a nice to have, but it's going to be something that delights the user as they're working through whatever workflow you have. So all of these things combined in the Kano model can be helpful if you have a bit more time to spend on the UX side, the UXR side, and really focus on that user experience. So we've gone through ticket prioritization, task prioritization, and now project prioritization. The only thing we haven't touched on is personal prioritization. So prioritizing for yourself. This is all about accountability. So what will you get done and by when? And then which things should you be working on? This is a list of tasks that should generally be agreed upon by yourself and your manager with you leading that conversation. You don't need to start big on this, but it starts to help you out with the never-ending to-do list. You start a to-do list, suddenly it's 30 items long, it's overwhelming. You go into the paralysis of, there's too many things to do, I'm never going to get them done, so I'm not going to do any of them. Trust me, I've, I've been there, I've done that myself. Uh, I have a few different methods that I think are helpful to clearing some of that cruft and getting you to a prioritized list. So the first one is the most important thing of the week. What is the singular most important thing that you will do this week that drives impact, that drives yourself forward, that drives company forward? What will you do? What is the one thing, if nothing else gets done, the one thing that you will do this week? Now, the goal here is to really pinpoint exactly what is helpful. Whether that be a personal goal or a company goal, you are driving that one thing to completion. At the end of the week, check in with yourself. Did you complete the thing you said you were going to do? If the answer is no, figure out why. If you didn't get the one thing done, what got in the way? Was it within your control or was it outside of your control? Once you have mastered the one thing process, expand that to three. What are the three items that you will get done this week? I think this is a super valuable one because it gives you that ordering, right? It forces you into that prioritization of this is my number one item, here's number two, and here's number three. Some of that is based on what is going to happen first. So if I have a new employee that's starting, I'll say, hey, Mark is starting on Tuesday. Onboarding him is number one, partially because of the urgency and it's happening whether I want it to or not. He will start on Monday. I need to get him onboarded or at least get him started along his path to onboarding. Then number two, number three, you can figure those out. With that big long list, you can also think about the Eisenhower matrix. So the Eisenhower matrix is a way to take a look at the things that are urgent and not urgent, and then the things that are important and not important. So when we think about not important and urgent, you can generally delegate those tasks away. These are the things that need to get done, but don't necessarily need your expertise in order to be completed. None of these prioritization tactics are helpful if you're not honest with yourself and with others about how important they are and how important you are in terms of the task getting done. So we have urgent, not important. That's a delegate task. We have not important and not urgent. 
you delete it. Get rid of it. This thing, don't even worry about it. Forget about it. Shove it off your list. Cross it out. Whatever you need to do. That one's gone. It's going to distract you. And what you need to do for the week, just gone. No longer there. Also, if you haven't realized this pattern yet, I really love quadrants. I think it is a great way to have an X and a Y axis to then point you in the right direction of decisions to make. The more frameworks and more models you have to match your day-to-day up against, the easier it is to then sort those things. So now we get into the important part of the quadrants. So urgent and important is a do. These are the tasks with clear deadlines, significant consequences if they don't show up or you don't get them done, similar to onboarding mark, right? It's you have to do this thing. It's important. It's urgent because it's happening regardless of whether you want it to or not. Then you have not urgent and important. This is a scheduling thing. Tasks with no set deadline, but that bring you closer to your long-term goals. So maybe this is a yearly goal, and so you want to break that down into sizable chunks. That way, every week, you can tackle one piece of it. If you tackle one piece across 52 weeks, that's 52 pieces that you've managed to get accomplished for your goal. So think about it in that way. Again, we have important and urgent. You're definitely doing that one. Important and not urgent. You're going to do that one, but you're going to schedule it. The do's or the important and the urgents, those are the critical items for the week. Those are the ones you need to prioritize. Those are the ones that have to get done and done by you. If it's not important and it's urgent, delegate that away. Delegation is a great tool in management because it teaches you to let go, teaches you to set boundaries and set guardrails for someone else to complete a task that then empowers you to expand further, grow further, and get to things that you might not have otherwise gotten to. How else do you prioritize work? We've gone through projects, we've gone through overarching projects, very tactical tasks, we've gone through your personal prioritization. How else do you approach these things? Curious to hear your thoughts. Feel free to leave a comment on the podcast itself. I've also got chat available on the uh, Substack app, so heartlesshandbook.com. There is a little chat tab there. You can go in there. I'll have one specific for this podcast where you can drop your ideas. What else has been helpful along the way? What have you tried and has not worked? Interested to hear your thoughts. That'll do it for episode two. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll be releasing one of these every Wednesday and each week have a new topic to discuss. If you have a specific topic you'd like me to cover, feel free to drop me a note, johnbhartley at gmail.com or on LinkedIn, wherever is most comfortable for you. Happy to kind of turn these into the way that is most helpful for you here early on as I'm getting getting my feet under me for uh, these podcast episodes. So thanks again. Until next time, take it easy.